How's it going, everybody? This is Chewy. And this is Monica. And we are from the podcast titled Exploring the Myths Behind the Legends. Where we talk about stuff like horror films, shows, and folk legends. You can find us on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Podchaser. Like us and give us a review. I'm Lisa. And I'm Agnes. And together, we are Sass and Sips, a watch rewatch podcast. We want to personally invite you to check out our podcast, where we'll be discussing TV shows from two perspectives. One who has seen the show before. And one who's not so sure. While we drink a lot. <laughs> I mean, like a lot, a lot. <laughs> Every season, we will focus on a new show. And for our first season, we have chosen the iconic show, Lost. We hope that you will come over and check us out. We can be found on your favorite podcast platform or at sassandsips.com. If you're down for drinks, friends, and television, then make sure you listen and subscribe. Because we're down for all of it. Yes. So listen with your bestie, open your favorite bottle, and sip and sass with Sass and Sips. Wow. Yeah, that... <laughs> humming, humming, humming. That was so bad. Uh, yeah, what... This is the Nostal Junk Podcast, where one person's junk is another person's childhood. I'm Matt McGraw. And I'm Kyle Smith. Join us as we take a deep dive into your pop culture consciousness. Welcome back to the Nostal Junk Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Not sure why, but we're here again. Last week, we talked about our top five movies. Pretty interesting. We had a varied list, that's for sure. Some uh, some of the choices went back to more child-oriented films. But then again, it depends on what spoke to you at an early enough age that still leaves an impression on you to this day. And that's what nostalgia is. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. We kind of have a, a history with music. Uh, we've been in kind of multiple bands together played music in various projects over the years uh, so this week we're going to talk about our favorite albums uh, the albums that kind of maybe shaped us the albums that we will always kind of go back to um, and remember fondly uh, for various reasons uh, so Matt do you remember the first concert first like true concert you ever went to I do and it definitely deviates from the style of music that I have grown quite fond of. But my very first concert experience was at the Halifax Metro Center, not the Scotiabank Center. It was CCR. Credence Clearwater Revisited, not Revival. Uh, this is minus John Fogarty, some other dude. But it didn't matter because when I was the age that I was, might have been about seven 
I, I think I think it was it was just at that age that I remember the songs going into them. I knew the songs going into the concert. So not having John Fogarty actually didn't really matter to me. This guy's intensity was fantastic. So I was able to sing along. I knew all the songs because that's kind of what my mom and dad raised me on. If I play some CCR, I'll probably transport myself back to those really hard chairs that uh, we're not really comfortable. But we've all have been to a concert at some point that really meant something to us at an early age that we can look back on and say, that was awesome. Wow, I didn't even, I can't even, I don't even remember that they came here. That's so crazy. The concert that I remember the most, I'm going to talk about during this episode anyways a bit uh, and that's Metallica for the Black Album Tour at the same venue the Metro Center yeah. but for this purpose uh, for my question I'm going to go even I'm going to go so far back you don't even realize how far back I'm about to go but I'm going to go back to when I was I think I was probably two or three my favorite my first concert and I remember this I still have it in burn, burned into my brain my first concert ever was Sharon Lois and Bram oh yeah and now that is that's a piece of Canadian history right there. And if you want to, you you've never seen a rowdy crowd till you've seen an auditorium filled with screaming kids losing their minds to skin and rinky dinky dink. Come on, man, you know what's going on. What a raucous crowd tonight! Thank you, <laughs> everyone. Back for nap time. <laughs> No, that's that's cool. You know, like probably looking back, there was probably concerts like that before, but that was I I can't I can't be for certain, but I remember I went to a Zamfir concert at one point. You don't know. Okay. So Zamfir <laughs> Zamfir was kind of like a pan flute flautist, a pan flautist. He had a Christmas tape that I listened to probably all year. And my grandmother always put it on because she knew I liked it. I'm sure we were all at some kid concerts in back in our day. But yeah, CCR for me was my first true concert experience. Here we go. Let's run the tape. So this first album for me, number five, I mean, they were one of the biggest bands in the 90s, but this album to me, just in terms of redefining what you thought about a band, uh, that's what this album, and I needed a live album anyways, like oh, I, no. I, wasn't, I wasn't, no, I know, I know, this is a weird one, this is going to be a weird pick, but I, I, I like the fact that I have a live album on my list because of what it meant to me in the moment. And it's Nirvana's Unplugged in New York. Cool. That's my number five. Cool. And I, I just love the whole story behind I know that Kurt Cobain, like he had a lot of issues uh, and even the story leading up to Unplugged is just kind of fascinating how he was in his down period. He had a lot of problems with drugs. Not a lot of people really knew where he was at. Even like the lead up to the performance at MTV was they didn't know where he was. There was no rehearsal. He showed up at the studio two hours before the show, apparently, like they didn't know how he was and he just went on stage and the performance is amazing. His voice is amazing. And it just, to me, Unplugged showcases how good um, stripped down, even heavy songs can be beautiful. His performance for Unplugged in New York just showcased how great of a vocalist he was, how great of a songwriter he was. Like it, It's been documented that he was very heavily influenced by pop music like the Beatles. 
But even the fact that he chose to do half the album as covers kind of broke the mold of the MTV Unplugged format at the time. For a noisy garage rock band like Nirvana to do a stripped down, even Dave Grohl, who's one of the hardest hitting drummers ever, to play just ever so slightly. Like, it's just such a great performance. And and just kind of really just redefined what I would think of in terms of alternative music, heavy music. Uh, so yeah, Nirvana unplugged in New York. Probably a product of being in love with so much extreme metal early on that I had no room for Nirvana. Mm-hmm. I had no love for them. In recent years, yeah, I did get into Nirvana and I do appreciate what Kurt did. And I do see the direct connection to the Beatles. Mm-hmm. Um, you could call them rock, but it's just, it's ultimately just pop music at that point. Mm-hmm. Beatles, just such brilliant songwriters that they set the tone of what is song structure, a hit, a melody, a hook. So when you, when you say that about Kurt and about Nirvana, you can hear it. And actually, uh, one of my early guitar teachers, he told me, play what you sing and, and sing what you play. Wow. And, th- and that's every Kurt Cobain solo. He plays his vocal line. That's true. And it works. He doesn't deviate from that. Yeah. And it just it further cements their importance to not only uh, music history, but to even um, approaches to guitar. Yeah, you know, keep it simple. It's a simple simplicity. Keep it simple, stupid. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the KISS method. Uh, but keeping it simple definitely works. So, yeah, that, that, that I'm not surprised that that's in your top for sure. But just, I mean, to me, that album is his his voice. There's no extra effects on that. It's literally just four people with acoustic guitars and a drummer. And it really showcases how amazing Kurt Cobain's voice actually was. You know? Right. And it's it's very raw. It's yeah. genuine. And, and he does go off key at certain points. And I'm being but that's just human, you know, he's just, I don't know. Which is also lost in the 90s where perfection is the goal yeah. more so than originality. Exactly. And uh, I think that's my big takeaway from Nirvana is that it's not about how clean you can make your dirty record sound. Because mm-hmm. that's something that we're facing. Yeah, with. What's wrong with just actually being dirty? Yeah, what's wrong with just being human? Yeah. I mean, look at Neil Young. One of the most uncommercial voices of all time, but, but one yeah. of the greatest voices of all time. But know? has written some, you know, even you could say the same thing about Bob Dylan. Mm-hmm. You know, one oh, of the, one of the greatest poets and songwriters of all time couldn't sing a fucking tune if he tried and probably wouldn't be as successful today. No. You know, those those people, you know, they're they're lost to the time they were in, you know, they, yeah. they couldn't succeed today. I think Kurt, Kurt follows a, a lot of the, uh, the same appeal and the, the charming character that Neil Young falls into, which is, uh, it's not about singing perfectly. It's about telling the right story. That's true. It's about a message. Yeah. Anyway. All right. So that's, that's my number very five. cool. Yeah. Nirvana unplugged. My number five can't live without black album oh <laughs> you're like i loved how earlier you go what's wrong with the black album i'm like nothing's wrong with the black album that's because you love the black album that album is the white album to the beatles damn hey yo 
really there's not much that needs to be said about the black album that hasn't already been said before but bob rock was as stubborn if not more stubborn than the band members themselves yeah he didn't let the band steamroll over whatever he you know he kept them on track. He kept them on track to a point that he changed them enough <laughs> that loyalists hated Metallica because of it, but they also became the household name that brought you to their concert and influenced you to pick up a dr- set of drumsticks. It's very true. And if they continued to write albums like Master Puppets and uh, Injustice for All, which is not one of my favorite albums, despite it being a very good album. It's not one of my favorite albums. Um, what justice? Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. I think that, I think that justice has its merits and its complexities, but it's also it's, um, pretentiousness that it's its downfall, like seven minute songs with seven tracks of rhythms is enough. But in any case, yeah, uh, Black Album, we know we know the hits. Um, even the misses on that album are better than their misses on their previous albums that are more revered as a proper metal album. But outside of a metal scope, I think that the Black Album is one of my favorite albums of that band. And I think it represents the band at their peak of success and composition. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we talk a lot about like perfect storms and, um, you know, making decisions, doing things at the exact moment you need to. And Metallica at that point were on such a trajectory of, um, popularity, of commercial success. Like they had, uh, so Master, they had toured with Ozzy and gained a lot of fans. Justice, they got a Grammy nomination, which they lost, which they made fun of later. They just took everything in their arsenal, made it a little more accessible, a little more slowed down, created perfect metal pop songs. Like, not pop, but you know what I mean? Like, they're not thrashing out. They're not doing blast beats, but they're just creating memorable hooks and just, yeah, made, I mean, obviously the the album that changed (laughs) Metallica's path forever. Popular metal at that point was redefined because... Metal in the 80s, in a popular sense, was Poison, Motley Crue, Mm -hmm. Cinderella. Mm -hmm. It's a blend of grooves and heaviness. Man, Sabatru is probably one of the heaviest. I mean, at the time, definitely one of the heaviest. Did anybody go a whole step down before Sabatru? Like on the radio? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Well, actually, John Fogarty tuned down a full step. And the rest of the band played in standard didn't know that man you're full of like trivia knowledge that i have no idea about yeah well i love it this is useless useless knowledge but in any case yeah sabba true is one of my favorite songs of all time like it is so good nice and and i think that there's something to be said about does heavy have to be fast no like brutal is is about context we were talking about movies in the last one a brutal scene doesn't have to be gore it's not flashy yeah um, you talked about Texas Chainsaw Massacre being one of your favorites. It's not nearly as horrific as some of the other top horror movies that co- that that end up making you feel like sick to your stomach. Yeah, it's all about like what's actually happening. Right. It's context. Anyway. All right. So number four, my number four, 
Um, I'm looking at my list and I'm now noticing that I have a, I think I have a trend of albums that a band makes or an artist makes before they self-destruct. Oh, that's kind of dark. Nice. So Nirvana, um, recorded unplugged in New York in November of 1993 and Kurt died in April 94, five months later. That's, that's pretty crazy. Yeah. You know, it was like his swan song. Right. So this isn't as dark, but this album was um, hugely impactful to me as a kid getting into metal, thrash metal. Um, but this was the last album that this artist would make before leaving the band. Um, and it's Sepultura's Roots this is my number four. Wow. Um, this album, I don't know, to me, and maybe it's because I'm a drummer, but Roots is such a groove based album there's a lot of also it's a it's a metal album that like used a lot of like it was like they made a conscious decision to go like brazilian tribal Mm. influence or something and they like totally i don't know the album is just such an experiment but it works you know in in terms of just groove based songs right you know it's like riffs the riffs are great but the riffs are pretty simple but what matters most on roots to me is the drums uh, maybe that's what makes it so amazing. But Max Cavalera, one of the greatest metal vocalists of all time, uh, you know, such a great opener. Roots, bloody roots, just huge. Uh, Rada Mahata using all those crazy tribal drums, such a great song. Love that one. Anyway, so yeah, that's that's my number. That's my number four. That's roots. really funny because um, when when I was younger, I used to go to a rock camp. And that was, uh, that was held by now Logan McQuay, but then music stop. And so for two weeks, you would go to some school that was rented out, yeah. form a band, master two songs, and then perform a, a concert at <laughs> did the end you of two do weeks. Did you do a Sepultura song at, at Rock Camp? Yeah, I did Rada Mahata. Oh my God. That's amazing. Uh, that same year, I also did corn blind coincidentally also ross robinson produced yeah that's true yeah groove based drum focused ross robinson produced albums a lot of drum focus mm-hmm. that's true you know a lot of um almost like the drummer and the vocalist shares the same sonic wall and there's something to be said about I don't, the importance of drums in any kind of music like the it's almost like there's a conscious effort to let's let's make people's heads bop. What makes people's heads move? And let's make a song around that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Which is also kind of lost within that scope of metal when which I love being a metal head and I love the metal culture and I love wearing a metal shirt in public and someone saying sick band, sick tea and that instant connection to somebody that you know, you could go out and have a beer with right after and have this same type of conversation. That's very true. And music uh, does truly bring people together. It Music does, but definitely the metal connection. I find like metal and horror. Yes. Or a certain type of movie really does bring people like, well, makes people really kind of, you know, feel a camaraderie. Metal and horror share the same sphere in terms of appeal. You've got, death blood 
you know, you, you've got uh, bigger than life, unrealistic, murderous, dis- disturbing imagery that somehow people love and scream for. So there's this understanding that it exists within the fantasy of whatever sort of story you're telling. It's a story that exists as an outsider. Mm-hmm. So you don't belong. Yeah. It's not something you're probably, it's not something you're supposed to enjoy. Right. But you do. Yes. It's the, it's the style of music and genre of film that nobody likes yet. Thousands of people love it worldwide. Yeah, for sure. Anyway. Yeah. Roots, Roots is very cool. They well, tune yeah. down pretty low on that it's album. Pretty low. It's pretty low. So, and also what I love about uh, Ross Robinson um, at least at that point in his career is very raw. You know, he did like an almost like a Rick Rubin approach, you know, and, and Rick Rubin's, sure. you know, known for his kind of rawness, I guess. But, um, but yeah, roots just sounds, I don't know. So in your face, so raw, um, even like the bass, if you really like pay attention to the bass and roots, there's like a dirtiness and it's like, he's hitting it a little too hard, kind of like distorts at certain points. I don't know. It's something very, Prime, I mean, primal is the perfect word for roots. Sure. That's, I think that's what they were going for. Yeah. Well, Ross was known for aggravating the artists to get a different performance out of them. Yeah. Jonathan Davis and Daddy. Right. Uh, he threw a can of beer at uh, Rob Flynn and Machine Head and uh, picked up Corey Taylor, physically picked him up and thrashed him around the room during some chorus in the <laughs> first Slipknot album. So that's my number four. That's very cool. I love Sepultura. Love it. But yeah, so that's, the, it was weird, weird. That's the theme of my list is that like, I don't know how, what happened, but yeah, so that was the last Sepultura album that Max Cavalier made with them before he went on to Soulfly. I was, I was very partial to chaos. The album before. Oh, chaos AD. Yeah. I mean, that's, so that's, I, I, I think that's why roots mean so much to me. Cause I love Sepultura. I love Sepultura since, uh, I think arise was yes. my intro. And then I listened to beneath the remains and all that and schizophrenia, but, um, but then chaos AD was also such a huge album, like territory and man, so many great songs. Well, refuse resist, obviously, but yeah. So roots was to me like just such a departure. I guess, you know, it, like, it was, and it was just all due to the fact of the introduction of all that percussion, you know, the, they went, it's, they really literally went back to their roots and that's what makes it so special. Wow. That that's beautiful. That's lovely. <laughs> okay. Number four. Are you ready? Did you already mention some groove based albums? That's what I, that's what I'm all about. All right. I'm going to hit you with Astro Creep 2000. What? <laughs> devil man, devil man. That's a good one. That's actually, a, yeah, in terms of, yeah, when I look back at like, you know, what I was into at that certain point, like Astro Creep was huge, man. Yeah. Astro Creep 2000, baby. No, that was, it was so good. I mean, obviously more human than human. You can't get simpler than one chord over and over again. Has there ever been a top 10 hit that only used one chord? I don't even think in non-metal music that has existed. It's all E. 
or all D, I guess. Drop D, maybe. No, it's C sharp. Oh, it's C sharp. But that's my point: is that it's just one chord. But anyway, Astro Creep 2000. Great. It's a great album. It's a blend of what they were. Did they have more than? I thought they only had one album before that. Nope. Oh, they had some noise rock albums. I did before not know that. this. And uh, not my favorite, but that's fine. Like it's, Pan- Pantera's power metal? Don't. <laughs> don't. Don't. Don't say anything bad about pre-Pantera Pantera. <laughs> I have power metal on vinyl, and I have uh, projects in the jungle. I didn't even... I'm Heavy not- metal rules! <laughs> <laughs> in Donnie Darko... At the party in the house when he's wearing the infamous skeleton suit. Yeah. They're playing Proud to be Loud, performed by Pantera from Power Metal. Wow. White Zombie. Astro cool. Creep 2000. Yeah. There's too many good songs There's on that. There's a lot of great songs on that. Yeah. Okay. Creature of the Wheel. <laughs> Remember that chorus too goes, it's like, yeah. Rob Zombie loves, yeah. Yeah. As much as I love that album, it's kind of low on my list because there's not too much deviation from open E in C sharp on that album. But I love it. It's so good. Great. Uh, a great concept, great album book, like a booklet, like the album booklet with the lyrics and stuff. One oh of the best of God. all time. So album art is right up there with going to rent film. Yeah, for sure. And I loved, I loved coming home with a new album, open up that booklet and like just looking through it, looking through the lyrics, looking through the credits, the pictures and Astro Creep 2000 has, has one of the best ones ever. Pre-downloading and streaming. There's nothing better than coming home with a brand new album, looking at the artwork, and listening to that record until the next one comes out. Yeah, it's true. You were stuck. People, like, yeah, a lot of people probably these days do not understand the art of the album booklet. <laughs> but aside from that, but consumption. Yeah. You know, like, we we did not have the reliance of uh, Spotify yeah, or yeah. iTunes Music. Yeah, that's true. You just, you bought a record, that's what you listened to. And you committed to that record, yeah. That's true. Yeah. yeah. Uh, my number three, this kind of plays into the fact that, you know, I've been playing drums for a long time, and a lot of what makes a band interesting to me is the live element, like seeing a band live and watching them just, like, be who they are. So my number three is at the drive-ins relationship wow. of command. But I saw them on Letterman or something. I, I forget. I think it might have been Letterman. And to see a band explode as much as at the drive-in did, like all of their parts were moving like at, at every different way at all different times. And it was such just a, a noise kind of explosion. Um, and I bought the album. And I don't know. There was something about at the drive-in. It, it, Cause I was always a fan of the punk and the metal kind of like aesthetic. Um, and it's just such an original, I, I think maybe at the time it was just such an original piece of music. It was maybe not like the most accessible, 
but I think just because of their live act is what made me appreciate at the drive-in. And even to this day, I, I don't know. I still go back to relationship command. I just love it. And again, and this plays into the fact that this was an album that they made. So they made like two albums before it and on the rise up, they slowly self-destructed and relationship with the command was their last album before they broke up. Hmm. I mean, they reunited in the last couple of years, probably for money reasons, but um, that album to me still remains one of the greatest, I don't know, alternative noise rock albums ever. Sure. Yeah. Do you know that album at all? Do you know no. At the Drive-In or No. Not enough to comment on them. I know of them and I've listened. It's not my thing. Yeah. But no, I, I can totally see its importance on post-hardcore. Yes. As a music listener, you're always searching for something that makes you like a new feeling, something that makes you feel something different than what, like if you just listen to the same old music over and over again, the same old pop, same old metal, then you hear something that just like, you know, kind of throws your brain for a loop. I don't know. Something that really kind of propels you forward. I don't know. That's what at the drive-in is to me. So, and that's, and that's the only at the drive-in album I like, which is kind of interesting because the other stuff just doesn't, I don't know, but great album. Since I have already mentioned Rob Zombie, in some capacity, <laughs> mm-hmm. Hellbilly Deluxe oh. makes my next cut. It's a great horror-centric album. So, I, I don't know what did it for me, but it's still groove-based. It's more towards a pop orientation, more simplistic, but it's the horror element, like you just said. Um, I love the the clips from horror film inserted throughout you know it's very dancey it's very boppy uh we had already spoken about roots being drum oriented which allows it to be very groove oriented i think it it fits very very perfectly within what is accessible metal without it being sold out Mm -hmm. it's kind of riffing off of industrial metal alternative metal that was very very popular was no longer white zombie and now rob zombie outside of the singles my favorite two songs on it that i still if i put them on right now i will not listen to anything you say i will get lost right into the (laughs) demonoid phenomenon and meet the creeper okay yeah i don't i guess i don't know that album as much like i know uh dragula and living dead girl sure good songs Super Beast is great. That's a great opener to an album. But uh, Demonoid Phenomenon and Meet the Creeper are very fun. I think that's my takeaway is this album has more fun than it does like a serious approach to, you know, trying to remain metal or, um, you know, what is true to whatever format you're writing. There's various tunings right across the album. He dabbles in, you know, some of the verses have kind of like a rave-oriented beat. Um, and then the choruses have the catchy hook. Um, and then you get your typical white zombie Pantera-esque groove metal hooks throughout, like the bridges and the main riffing. And I don't know, it's just, it's a product, again, of its time. It came out of whatever he was doing previously, whatever he couldn't do previously and wish he could have been doing. 
who's to say, but uh, I think that uh, Hellbilly Deluxe still stands high on my list. Nice. Yeah. All right, my number two. Um, I mean, this is one of those albums that gets talked about a lot. We already talked about Metallica a lot, and Matt has the Black Album, but so I'm just going to go and keep going on that um, topic and... You know, what's the greatest album by one of the greatest bands of all time? It's Master of Puppets. I'm just going to say it. I thought you were going to say St. Anger. No. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, Master of Puppets to me is, I mean, one of the greatest albums by one of the greatest bands ever. Uh, It's kind of perfect in that it's only eight songs. Every song is amazing. Well, except maybe Leper Messiah, which I don't know. It has a great middle section, but might not be the the best song. But every other song on that album is incredible. Battery is pretty much my favorite Metallica song of all time. Um, And, you know, as I got into Metallica with the Black Album, as many people did. But then you, you do the deep dive and come to realize that, you know, this album truly is one of the best albums ever made. Um, It still stands up today. Great songs, the greatest instrumental song of all time, Orion. Um, it's just a, you know, just a band at the height of their powers doing what they do best, you know, and kind of plays into what I was talking about before a band uh, or an album right before a certain part of that band expires. And unfortunately, you know, that's it is the band that is the album that um, was the last for their original bassist, Cliff Burton who, you know, contributed to many of the songs on the album, Orion being probably the most substantial. But uh, yeah, Master Puppets, great album, great band. Master Puppets is a great album. I tried out for my first band uh, by playing the solo to Master Puppets and got it within the first, I don't know, two repeats of the Nice. nice. That's all I had to play. And they're like, hey, you got it. Anyway. Yeah, no, Master, right. Master Puppets, the album, fantastic. It's great. What's your number two? My number two uh, takes me back to elementary, pre-junior high, when Green Day came to Halifax. Hey! And this is when Green Day was still Green Day. I slept out for the tickets to that. Insomniac is my number two album. Really? That's More amazing. than Dookie. That's a good. That's a good. That's Insomniac good, has something else going on with it that Dookie doesn't, and I think it's 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 actually man. That's the, a great. I, that's a the great. heaviness of it. Not even the heavy. I don't know. Yeah, but I I think for me that the feeling of Insomniac for what I remember that, that that's an awesome. Pick. Yeah the the way that Trey played all the grooves. Um, the pace of the album is a little more aggressive bass, the production, like just everything, everything was just right on point. I love Dookie. Dookie's great, but insomniac. There's no return from 86. (laughs) That's my, that's my song. That's my song. But all of those songs, I do not skip. But uh, like Tightwad Hill, like even the non-hits, they're great. They're they're firing on all cylinders, just like Dookie. But there's something about the production of it that's very heavy sounding. It's very aggressive and uh, while still remaining very apathetic. I love Insomniac. I can put it on any time and instantly smile with 
uh, that same feeling of like, oh, I'm an angsty teenager and Insomniac's my album. I love it. That's it's awesome. great. So what do you what do you have for Insomniac memories? I well, just the concert. Uh, I forget what year it must have been. Uh, but uh, yeah, I went to the Metro Center to see Green Day. Uh, and it was just, I don't know. That was just such, I remember they played stuck with me. Remember oh. that song? And, but they had to stop. Do you, were you at that concert? No, I didn't. They had I to didn't stop to the that. show because someone threw, uh, a, a spark, a sparkle stick or something like one of those like fire thing. Anyway, they threw it and they were playing stuck with me and they had to stop stuck with me. And they was like, get that. They were like, get that fucking guy out of here. It was amazing. It was awesome. But yeah, I was on the floor for that that show, you know, because they had Dookie out. Green Day was just like the biggest band. And the fact that they were coming to Halifax was just like amazing. On the B-sides of uh, the Green Day library, the song Do Da Da is actually stuck with me. Because the chorus in that is stuck with me. Man, I haven't listened to that in so long. So apparently what happened was it was retitled incorrectly during the mix down process and this unknown song showed up as stuck with me on the album. They went with it. They even did like a video for it and it's not actually stuck with me. The song do da da is actually stuck with me with the chorus stuck with me. Hmm. That's amazing. I need to listen to that again. Yeah. I don't, I didn't know that. So that was number two. What's your honorable mentions? You got anything off top of your head? No effects are one of my favorite bands of all time. So oh, cool. something like Punk and Drublick or um, So Long and Thanks for All the Shoes. Oh, cool. Those are two of my favorite no effects albums. Man, they perfected pop punk. Yes. Uh, in terms of keeping punk still fast. I mean, there, a lot of the songs do sound the same, but in terms of melody, what they could do with melody in terms all the drum beats kind of are super fast and this kind of the same, but man, no effects perfected that form of pop punk to me. And punk and Droplic, uh was the album that got me into no effects. My real honorable mention is 1039 smooth out slappy hours by green day. Damn. You love, you're all about the green day, early green day. I don't know what it is, but this is not Kerplunked and it's not dookie as a young guitarist. Like I, I tried to and pre-internet, you had to rely on music stores to get sheet music. So I, I bought whatever I could. They had this as a tab book and I bought it. I, I did it backwards. So like I learned the chords, I learned the riffs, um, got the record, perfected it that way. I don't know. There's something about it. If you go back and take a look at it, you're going to hear a very raw pop punk band without the production without the perfection um and and even though kerplunk is cool and dookie is dookie and dookie is dookie I think he's a very underrated underappreciated not only pop punk album but green day album definitely yeah go I mean, back I, yeah i don't know that album at all like i mean i know of it uh, i think i definitely know kerplunk more but i never listened to that album all right, so my number one. Wow. So this album to me has always been my number one ever since I heard it. And this is like going, so I think it was out in the mid nineties. Um, and again, it goes, it's my theme of my list, apparently of bands that make their masterpiece before they self-destruct. Uh, and in terms of a live act, in terms of just explosive music, a mix of punk, hardcore, 
um, just like just noise kind of metal. I don't know. Maybe that's just what I'm into. Anyways, my number one is refused the shape of punk wow. to come. Um, this album, I don't know. It just to me, it, it's, it's, a, it's a, like a mission statement of DIY music. This, yeah. this album to me, uh, every song is just like, you know, there's experimentation with the interludes and kind of like the radio noise and the, um, transitions in between songs into like, there's kind of punky pop punk riffs into just explosive screamo into like huge, like wall of noise kind of, um, uh, metal, I guess. But, uh, to see them live, of course, I never saw them live in person, but to watch them on, uh, YouTube or on TV, like just, just go YouTube, uh, like an old refuse concert and just, I dare you to not be just enthralled by the energy that these guys put out. Like, um, there's a great, also a great documentary called Refused or Fucking Dead, which is the title of a song on, um, the shape of punk to come. And it's just a great chronicle of a band coming apart at the seams, a band that where like the weight of like their popularity and everything kind of like coming to a head and just what it means like to be, I guess like a band in that position. It's it's great, great footage. Great. There's a great story of their last show ever, which just happened to be this like shitty basement show at, in the States somewhere. And um, I don't know, just a great album by a great band that ended way too soon. Um, just will always be my number one refused to the shape of punk to come. Yeah. I remember watching much loud and yeah, new noise. Yeah. Yeah. Last grab! <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know. Well, both refused and at the drive-in. Um, they have re like you know done reunion tours or whatever. But right. man, just like those two albums, um, just like at the height of their power before they kind of quit, like their initial quit. I don't know. Just something about like a band. I I think I like the story of a band that has nothing to lose or just I don't know. Just nothing try- to prove or, nothing to gain. Or they're trying to prove everything and they just throw everything they can. I don't know. Yeah. I just there's something about that that really. Um, I just love and just really interests me. Well, like the title says, the taste of punk to come. Punk doesn't have to be a genre. Mm. Punk is an attitude. It's true. And punk exists within whatever norms exist. So influence of just noise, like you said, screamo elements. Yeah, I'd say there's even some EDM in that, you know, with using synthetic drums. They do. Yeah, you know, you're right. It's got... It's got such an approach that says, fuck you we'll to do, whatever yeah. your norm is, we'll do even we when your norm is not to be the norm. Mm-hmm. So punk is not supposed to be the norm. At some point, your unnormal becomes normal. Yeah, that's true. You know, it's very normalized. So, you know, you think about at some point, pop punk to maybe an early Green Day or an early No Effects, uh, maybe even an early Blink-182. Mm-hmm. Might have been, you know, very cutting edge and new at the time, but at some point that becomes the new standard. I think that album says punk needs to be revitalized as a a norm. Hmm, that's amazing. I'm glad you see that way. Now that when you say it that way, it's like, is the shape of punk to come like the 2001 of punk albums? Sure, it could be. I think it is, but. (laughs) Punk as a genre kind of died, and then they revitalized it by reinventing it. 
punk is, yeah, as an attitude, not so much as a style of music. Even still, on a prog sense, you can take the aesthetic of um, Refused from that album and put it into Dillinger's Escape Plan, yeah, and you hear it. Yeah, you're right, man. Wow, yeah, you're right. Yeah. So there's there's a lot there's a lot to be taken away from that album um, that exists outside of punk. It became just heavy music. It became aggression. It became, you know, like I said, the the fuck you to whatever you expect it to be, mm-hmm. and and uh, I think that's a that's a very overlooked, underappreciated but beloved album by those that get it. Nice. That's amazing. And that's not my number one. <laughs> uh, my number one becomes a filthy little secret that gets crumpled up and hidden in the bottom drawer next to my Discman that I listen to when my <laughs> parents my parents don't know that I'm listening to it. And it is Marilyn Manson's Andy Christ Superstar. Oh. <laughs> Still to this day, that is my number one record of all time. Awesome. It takes me back to... That does take me back to... It takes me way back to... Uh, hanging out with my friend Jason, who introduced me to Manson, introduced me to Corn. This is Manson at the height of his, you're not supposed to listen to this kind of music. You want to talk about album art when yeah, your right. own parents hype it up as being literally its title, The Antichrist, and they know you're listening to it, but yet you don't want them to know you're listening to it. <laughs> track for track, irresponsible hate anthem, beautiful people. Man, angel with scab wings. Heart, drug, face, <laughs> wanna powder, his nose. <laughs> the context of when it came out was when I was a fan of it. And I was the target audience of an audience that shouldn't have been listening to it. Yeah. That was how it was marketed. That's how it was pitched. He was featured on TV as the artist you your kids shouldn't be listening to. True. Like image that he attached himself to like was just a perfect part of what made Marilyn Manson's successful, like the look of the beautiful people video. You know what I mean? Just amazing. Even movies, like remember the house on Haunted Hill, like the skitzy kind of right the creatures moved. Like that was all the beautiful. People. Like it's skipping frames. Yeah. yeah, the household name of what you shouldn't be listening to. That was our Kiss. That was yeah. our Alice Cooper. Alice Cooper. That was our David Bowie. That was our Beatles for every, our parents. Every generation needs that. That was we, our. We do. That know? was Elvis the pelvis. Yeah. And <laughs> when disobedience rules, right? <laughs> like we're not supposed to be watching and listening to this, but you know we're going to watch and listen. Sure. It's when our, the R rating is for everybody. Right. I can put that on now. I won't stop it. I will listen to it forever. Nice. All right. Yeah. Wow. What a what a crazy varied list that was. Uh, it's just amazing always just looking back and, and thinking about those albums that mean the most to you. And that, just a reminder, this is not our opinion of the greatest albums ever made, like a Rolling Stone list or a Spin Magazine list. But it's just kind of the albums that, when we think about it, mean the most to us uh, growing up. We'll just go back to and remember uh, fondly. So thanks for listening. Uh, join us next week where we're going to start talking about our favorite TV shows. Um, the shows that kind of made us so to speak uh, you can find us on twitter facebook instagram and the style junk pod reach out to us tell us about your favorite concert experience or your most cherished albums and uh, we'll give you a shout out on the show for nostalgia junk podcast i'm kyle smith saying i'd rather be forgotten than remembered for giving in and i'm matt mcgraw i wasn't born with enough middle fingers
The world can feel like a pretty hopeless place nowadays. There are about a billion problems in the world, but yet it feels like no one's willing to talk about them. So that's why you should go listen to my new podcast, A Modern Proposal. My name is Parker James, and I'm going to share with you the world's worst problems and some even worse solutions with a guest that's coming in completely cold. You can find A Modern Proposal wherever you get your pods casted. Listen, follow, and be sad. Stoner Chicks. We're four friends who met through comedy and bonded through weed. I'm Grace Penzel. I'm Kayla Teal. I'm Stephanie Thompson. I'm Phoebe Richards. If you love smoking weed and laughing with your friends, this podcast is for you. Weekly episodes will drop on Fridays starting April 2nd, so subscribe now to Stoner Chicks wherever you get your podcasts. Coming to your favorite podcatcher soon.